Amen. Would you pray with me, please? Abundant peace belongs to those who love your instruction. Nothing makes them stumble. Lord, I hope for your salvation and carry out your commands. I obey your decrees and love them greatly. I obey your precepts and decrees for all my ways are before you. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we continue in a series called The Church Alive. And as we do that, I'd like to introduce you to my sandwich. Okay. Um, I've got a little bit of game. In case you golfers are out there wondering. Uh, my problem is that I, I keep getting my stole caught in my backswing. That's the, that's the main problem I have. But this particular club is my sand wedge, and those of you who golf know that this, is, this can be a very important club. For me, it's the club that I use for every shot that's 100 yards or less. So uh, once I get around the, the short game, because I don't usually hit the green in regulation, I'm always chipping to get close to the hole. The other day on the third hole at Augusta Ranch Golf Course out in Mesa, I left my sand wedge on the, on, on the side of the green, and for the rest of that round, I didn't have it. Anyone ever done that, golfers? You know, you take your putter in the wedge, and then you get back to the cart, and you go, oh, my wedge, I left my wedge at the hole. For the rest of my round, I was sunk, because this is the club that is made for a bunch of shots that I had to hit, but I didn't have the club for it. Now... Why is that important for what we're talking about today? Because we're talking today about good works. Good works. Any, any lifelong Lutherans in here? Uh, lifelongers. Oh, oh, look at those hands go up. Yeah, that's me. I'm lovely. Boy, you talk about works with a group of Lutherans and people are going to start looking at you funny. Because we don't like to talk about works, do we? Because the Lutheran tradition emphasizes what? That we are justified by grace through faith. It is the free gift of God, lest anyone should boast. We don't have to work our way to salvation. This is the old deal, in case some of you are go, what's the difference between a Lutheran and a Catholic anyway? Because it, you know, there's still smells and bells and things like that. It still seems like formal church. Is there really a big difference? There's actually a huge difference. And the huge difference is this. In one in, in, in one church, you have to do good things in order to merit the approval of God. In the other church, we believe the biblical testimony that says, you can do nothing to merit the favor of God. It is the free gift of God given to you. You simply receive that gift. You don't have to prove yourself before God. And that's good because that'd be impossible because we're all broken and fallen. We're not good enough for God but God is good enough for us, and he shows to save us by becoming us, creator becoming creation, dying for us in our place because he loves us and wants to buy us back. It's all a free gift. It's all by grace. But today we're talking about the church alive, and I'm going to tell you this. God wants you doing good works. Ah, now you're making me nervous up there, Bill, because I'm a good Lutheran. Martin Luther realized this too. He realized how easy it is for us to creep over. I know I'm saved by grace, but God, you'd really kind of like me to do this, wouldn't you? God, you're really a little bit disappointed in me, right? Because I'm not following through like this. My sin is still on me, isn't it, God? And Luther, uh, in his commentary to the Galatians, said this. 
I know how slippery the footing is even for those who are mature and seem to be firmly established in matters of faith. Even one passage in scripture that presents some of the threats of the law overwhelms and swamps any other comfort. It shakes our insides in such a way that it makes us forget justification, grace, Christ, and the gospel. And so many good Lutherans, because of this idea about this can shake people's soul if you talk about works, well, we just won't talk about works then. We'll just talk about how good God is and how he saved us. The problem is, the Bible talks a lot about doing good works. In fact, I'm going to bring the whole complement of uh, biblical testimony to bear here. Uh, not the full complement, but at least a number of the key players, starting with Jesus himself, who said in Matthew chapter 5, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Not only does he want you to do good deeds, he wants you to do them in public. And he would like for you to be seen doing them because when you do them in Jesus' name, God gets the glory. Peter echoed these same thoughts of Jesus when he said in 1 Peter 2.12, live such good lives amongst the unbelievers that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. The Apostle Paul said this about his own preaching ministry in Acts 26. He said, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. Paul, to his protege Timothy, said this, command those who are well-to-do to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. Command them to do good deeds. Then the writer of Hebrews says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, yes, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And then James, the half-brother of Jesus, who was the pastor of First Lutheran Church in Jerusalem back in the day, said, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done. The word of God calls us to works. Now, how can we keep from that trembling fear that Luther talked about where we, we start thinking about works and it actually damages our soul because we start thinking that we have to earn our way to God versus how do we talk about works in an appropriate way that, that encourages us and leads us into the kind of life that God wants us to live. To our text today, Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 10, there's two simple words and you can just use these words as a fulcrum by which to think about works. Let's take a look at that. For it is by grace that you've been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Now watch this. Not by works so that no one can boast. We are God's handiwork, his craftsmanship, his product. He's made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See the difference there? Shepherd of the desert, are you saved by good works? Are you saved for good works? Yes! So when you became a Christian, and some of you became a Christian when you were baptized as an infant and you were raised in the church and you didn't have that crossing over moment, that conversion moment that some of us had. But when you come to Christ, did you come to Christ thinking, oh, good, I'm done, I'm out of the oven. I've got eternal life insurance policy and I'm completely forgiven and I'm done. Or did you realize that when God saved you, he claimed you, 
He chose you. He named you. He crafted you. And according to this text, he has good works prepared in advance for you to do. When you became a Christian, you were enlisted into the family of God and then into the army of God to participate with God in bringing glory to himself in the world. Wow, I didn't know so much was expected of me. Yes, the world is expected of you, but you're not saved by it, right? You're not saved by your works, but you're saved for works. God's will for your life is that you do good works and lots of them. Not in your own strength, but in his strength. Not just in your own determination, but he has created these works for you to do. So, what works should you do? All right, Bill, I'm ready. Let's get out there. I'm going to start this afternoon. I'm going to go out and do a good work. Well, what should I do? Well, that's where the sand wedge comes in. <laughs> the good work today is 18 holes at... No, no, that's not what I mean. The, the, the sand wedge, this club was crafted for specific shots, right? If I tried to, if I got in a sand trap and I pulled out my driver, I'd be a mess. Those of you who are golfers understand what I mean. This is designed for certain works. You too. Are you a wedge? Are you a driver? Are you a putter? I kind of feel like a putter these days. Are you that, are you a two iron? What's it? Only God can hit a one iron, right? Is that the old uh, golfing joke? The church is like a bag of golf clubs, and each one of you is designed for something. God has handcrafted you for specific things. And if you don't show up for the thing that God has crafted you to do, it's either going to not be done or it's going to be done poorly, like me trying to chip with my seven iron. It's just going to go badly, but it's the best we can do. But when the church alive is functioning in its fullness, the whole bag is available for God to pull the club of his choice and make what happens. God has custom, did you know this? God has custom designed you completely different than anybody else to do specific works that he has prepared for you to do. You mean God's got a to-do list with my name on it? He does. Now, if you've been saved by Christ, if you're so thankful for his salvation, you're gonna say, what, God? What do I get to do for you? Is there something specific to me that I get to do? Or if you're not really that thankful, and I don't see how you could be not thankful for what God has done for you in Christ, you might go, well, I don't want to do anything. In fact, I'd, I'd rather go to a church that doesn't do good works. I'd like to be a bag of golf clubs that never gets pulled out of the bag, but we're nice and shiny and clean, and we want to get a bigger bag and bigger clubs. We just want to have more people, and we just... No, the reason clubs exist is to hit shots. We don't exist as a church just to gather in here and be a bunch of golf clubs together, be a bunch of Christians together. We exist to be in the hands of God doing good works out there in the world for the sake of his glory. So there's custom works that God has designed just for you. But there's not just the custom works... There's also what I, I would call these standard works. In uh, 1, Timothy, 1 Timothy 5, uh, the Apostle Paul was talking to Timothy because there were a bunch of widows in the church that the church was taking care of. And Paul said, 
We want to take care of widows, yes, but the widows need to be a certain type of church member. This is the kind of church member that Paul is talking about. And I think it's, this is for widows, but I think it relates to all of us. Paul says, widows supported by the church should have been faithful to her husband and be well known for her good deeds, such as, and now we have this nice little laundry list of things that I would call standard works, such as bringing up children. Okay, that's not totally standard if you don't have children of your own. If you do, you have been handcrafted to be their parents. And you might think, well, I'm not a very good parent. So I'll let the church take care of my kids, or I'll let the Christian school take care of my kids. No, you are the parent. You need to lean into that. That is a work God has designed you to do. But I feel weak in it. God's strong. Rely on his strength and be great parents. But as a church, we take care of our kids collectively. Now, it's like uh, 150 on four here in this service, but we would like to see more and more kids here. We take care of them all. That's something that we do. So parenting, bringing up children, showing hospitality. Not only do you have people over at your house, but are you a hospitable person? Are you the kind of person that somebody comes up to you and says, hey, can I have a moment of your time? You, no. No, I'm busy. Yeah, but I need a little assistance. That's great. Call AAA. Are, are, you have barrier here? Are you a hospitable person? Say, yeah, I'm open. I would love to be able to help. Washing the feet of the Lord's people. Probably not a literal thing to say, but what was washing the feet in this passage of Jesus? It was the grimy thing that needed to be done for those disciples, and Jesus stepped right into it. Was Jesus overqualified for that? Absolutely. But he did what needed to be done. In fact, every time there's a, th uh, here at Shepherd of the Desert, every time there's an announcement goes out says, we need a little help for this, there should be a line out to Shea of everybody in the church saying, of course, of course I'll help. Washing feet, mowing a lawn, taking care of something, of course. We've got these projects that the church is doing around different places saying, could you please come and help? The first reaction of a believer is, yeah, love to help. Helping those in trouble is another thing. So we're on call. We're that, you know, that country song, you find out who your friends are. Uh, if somebody has a problem in the middle of the night, are you that person who's hospitable and willing to step in and be of assistance? Those are the kind of people who mark the church alive being healthy. Paul says those kind of people are worthy of support. So there's custom works and there's standard works and there's one other kind of work and that's the work of whatever God puts in front of you. It might not be on a list, a practical list of something you know. It might not even be something you feel like you're very good at, but it's what's for dinner right now, and this person needs help. And just by the way, the Bible is full of stories, full of stories of underqualified, weak people being called by God to get stuff done. So Abraham and Sarah were too old, and Moses had a speech impediment. Rahab had a past. Jonah was just not a city guy. James and John, they had anger issues. Peter was a doofus. And Jesus was a single guy living with his parents till he was 30. <laughs> this, is, this is the stuff of the kingdom of God. So you fit right in wherever you are. And then God's going to bring this thing in front of you where you get a chance to serve. And you step into it. So whether you have been designed for that work or if it's not on the list of standard works, we step into it anyway. And when we do that, God is glorified. In fact, Paul 
was so thankful for the church in Thessalonica. It's one of his favorite churches. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, he's giving thanks to them for who they've become. And he says this, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't say this, we remember before God your attending every Sunday in the big hall and listening to a sermon and listening to music. We remember your tithe check. We remember your 100% on the doctrine exam. Those aren't the things he remembers. Paul remembers, you know what I thank you for, you guys? That you have a faith, but it's producing fruit of work and labor. And even endurance, which means labor that you have to stick to it. It doesn't go well the first time, so, but we keep pressing. That's what Paul is thankful for. So, and here's, here's why we don't talk about this in Lutheran world very much. Because <laughs> right now, if there's any of you going, okay, all right, uncle, I've been shamed. I'll do good works. Just get me out of here. Get me to the donut bar and out. I want, okay, I'm feeling guilty. I don't want you to feel guilty. L- let me read that verse one more time, but give it a little bit of different emphasis. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 2. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. What is the, what's the fountain of your good works? Where's it going to come from? If it comes from a guilty conscience that just knows you should be doing better, that's a waste, and that's what Luther was afraid of. But if instead you stop, are we still going to read the Apostles' Creed? That's coming up. Have you read that thing before? Yeah, I read it every week. It's kind of boring. I don't even know why we do it every week. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? Read it this week and just let your jaw drop once again at what you believe, what you've come to know. The creator of the world has saved you in Christ. He's coming back again to set up his kingdom, eternal life. We've got, we've got the Holy Spirit. We've got the church. We've got forgiveness of sins. We've got the resurrection of the body. We've got life eternal. God has done all that by grace through faith. You didn't deserve squat. And he gave it all to you. That is unbelievable. And if that does not motivate you to say, Lord, what do you want? I'll do anything for you. Luther said this. I think this quote, yeah, we got on the screen. When we have taught faith in Christ, then we also teach about good works. Yes. Because you have taken hold of Christ by faith, you should now go and love your neighbor and do good to your neighbor and serve him. Do your duty. These are truly good works, but this is important, which flow from this faith and joy conceived in the heart because we have the forgiveness of sins freely through Christ. So good. Then when the Christian hears that good work should be performed, he'll say, fine, I shall gladly do this. What else is there? Isn't that great? Be a good bumper sticker. What else is there? Come on, church, what else is there? You've been bought by Christ. Heaven and earth is yours in Christ. And our response as a church alive is to just say, What else is there, God, than to do whatever you call me to do? 
Is it picking up a cross to follow you even to my persecuted death? I'll do that. Is it to just go share the gospel with my neighbor who might reject me? Sure. Is it helping out with a church project? That's easy. But Lord, let my life magnify you by being known for good works. Can we enter into works like that as a church? Because we're God's craftsmanship, his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared in advance for us to do. Could we be that church? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the privilege, the privilege of being the people of God. As John said, behold, what manner of love is this? That we should be called the children of the Most High God. And now, Lord, you have promised us that there is life for us in doing good works in Jesus' name. My prayer for Shepherd of the Desert, Lord, is that we would rise to that challenge, that we would find life there, and that increasingly Scottsdale would look over at Shea in 96 and say, those are people who love their God, and they just it seems they relentlessly do good things for others. Lord, if we are those people, you'll get glorified by your creation. We know that that's your purpose for us being here. We pray, God, that we would be those people. We pray it in Jesus' name.